0: Church, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. And I'm excited about walking into 2020 with each of you. Listen, we are blessed with a gift every year. And the fact that we get a fresh start, we get an opportunity to do something new to do something different and in 2020. I hope that we are better for the kingdom and for the cause of Christ than we were in 2019. But that doesn't happen unless we are intentional. I think that often what churches and what individual Christians do, is we just make this assumption that we are going to become closer to Jesus, but yet we make no plan in order to do so. And I think that often when we fail to plan, we plan to fail. And saying that, church, what I want for us to do is to be intentional every single day of our lives to make sure that we are doing everything we've been called to do in order to be obedient to the Lord and what He's called us to do. To do. Today I'm going to be preaching out of 1 John chapter 3, which is still a part of our IBC 260 plan. We have one more week and then we will jump into our new push for 2020. In church, I'm so blessed about what we've been learning through the IBC 260 as we have walked through scripture together. But today what we're going to be focusing on is love. See, the most popular scripture all throughout the world is John 3.16. But a scripture that is often overlooked is the other John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 is a powerful, powerful piece of God's word that explains the importance of us loving like Jesus loves us. See, this week I've had a lot of time to be in the car as we travel to see some family And typically, when I'm alone, I'm a music listener. So when I'm riding in the car by myself, I like to listen to music, but I cannot do that when my wife is in the car with me. The reason is, is because not that we have differences in music taste, we we share the taste for the most part, but the problem is, is that I can't listen to a song without singing the song. Is anybody guilty of this with me? Am I the only one? And the problem is, is that my wife is a little bit of a music snob. What I mean by that is that she does, feel like you're allowed to sing a song unless you know all of the words. And I don't feel like that is fair. I feel like I will be on the right track for the most part. And then all of a sudden we go to like, humming a humming a humming us for a while. And she doesn't appreciate that. And it makes her angry. Not to mention if I ever sing a, in the, listen, if you have a musical wife, you feel my pain. Whenever you start a song, here's what happens. You start singing a song acapella with no music. And she jumps in but she changes the key to the right key because anytime that you're singing it, you're not singing in the right key. And so she has to put it in the right key and then you're now singing it wrong and then she takes over your solo. And that happens every time we're singing in the car. Now, what are the most popular genre of songs? Now, I'm not talking about country or or Christian or rock. What I mean is subject matter. The most popular subject matter that we see going through every single song genre is love. One of my favorite recording artists of all time, don't hold it against me because I'm old school, but anybody remember James Taylor up in here? Oh, James Taylor could flat out do it, couldn't he? Oh, Up on the Roof. My favorite though is Your Smiling Face. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? No one can tell me that I'm doing wrong today. And I love the, 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 the bridge. I thought I was in love with a couple of girls before, but that was long before I met you. Now I'm sure that I won't forget you. My wife doesn't find that very appealing, but I still love the song. But see, since I'm not allowed to listen to music in the car, I end up listening to a lot of audio books when I'm with my wife. And one of my favorite books, and this is like the pleasure read for me, the one that I've probably read two or three times because it's enjoyable, is a book by the name of Love Does, written by a guy named Bob. Golf. Now, this is one of the easiest books to read I've ever read in my life. And it's exciting because all it is, is that this crazy guy named Bob, he's this Californian, which already makes him crazy and weird, right? And so he's this weird, cool lawyer, not a pastor who just looks at everything that he goes through in his life from a Christian perspective, but he doesn't simply talk about loving. He doesn't simply study love, he simply doesn't read about love, but this guy chooses to live love loudly all throughout the way that he lives his life. So what you'll see all throughout each chapter of his books are these crazy stories about how love has inspired him and others to do weird, intense, and insane things things. Y'all, if you have any time over the next few days, I really recommend that you guys check this one out because what it's going to do, it's just going to push your perspective a little bit further on how we could stop becoming just spectators of the faith, but rather participants in the faith. See, one point that he makes in the book is that the easiest stories to remember are your love stories. It's so true. Like, listen, I could tell you so many details about when I met my wife. I can tell you what she was wearing, where she was sitting, what her mouth did when I fumbled over all of my words. And she just looked at me like I was an idiot. That was such an endearing look. Listen, I can tell you all the details of my proposal. My proposal was so complicated. But listen, on the way to our proposal, my wife was so convinced that I was never going to propose to her, that she was crying and telling me I was dragging my feet too long, and I would never, ever propose to her. On the way to the proposal, she almost dumped me on the way to her own proposal. We got to the church. I had this whole thing rigged up. It was so complicated every detail planned out it took me months to plan this proposal and we finally finally at the end of the night were engaged and it was this beautiful moment and I could give you every single detail because they are seared into my mind but I imagine that after I gave you every detail I could take this whole sermon to explain how each and every part of the process happened you're probably not going to remember it Why are you not gonna remember it? You're not gonna remember it in the same detail that I remember it because it's not your story. It's not your story. It's not your love. You don't have the same love for my wife that I do. And if you do, we better talk in the parking lot because we're gonna have some problems. Listen, here's the truth. When it is your love and your love story, you remember every detail about it. I remember when I was a young man in church and I remember after church, a mentor of mine said, hey, what, what, what did you learn from the sermon? I said, I couldn't even tell you what he's talking about. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you ever been there where you just, man, you missed it. And he said, Sean, when you recognize that the story of Jesus is a story about you and him together, you become a whole lot more interested in the messages. You become a whole lot more interested in God's word when you realize that you're a part of it. That you're not a spectator in the love story. You are a participant in the love story. The story of scripture has to do with you as well. You are a part of it. And it made things come alive to me. See, love inspires us to do big, wild, and crazy things. Love changes us, doesn't it? Love causes us to do weird, dumb things. When you meet a teenager in love, isn't that a dangerous thing? Like a teenager in love is scary. They will disobey their parents. They will disobey all authority. They will do anything that they need to do because love is so powerful and drawing. It causes people to be wild. But also, listen, love can be crushing, what is the most, what is the, one of the most difficult things anybody can go through? Losing a what? A loved one. See, not just losing anybody, but losing a loved one is so difficult. Why? See, just having somebody from your life that passes away is not the same as having somebody that you loved and loved you Back, pass away. Why? Because when you realize the absence of past love, isn't it heartbreaking? Because love is so powerful. Today we're going to look at four lessons on love. Love is incredible, love is consequential, love is eternal, and love is practical. Dwight L. Moody was a pastor and evangelist from Chicago a century ago, and he said the love of God is the most transforming truth there is. He went on his own journey to take a Bible in a concordance and trace every single incident of the love of God in the Bible, and he walked away from that experience saying these words. I know of no truth in the whole Bible that ought to come home to us with such power and tenderness as that of the love of God. And there was no truth in the Bible that Satan would so much like to blot out as the same truth. See, We recognize that God is love, but there is also an enemy in this world. And this enemy is an enemy of the love of God. If he wants to attack you, he's going to try to convince you that you are unloved. Because when you recognize that you are loved, you find value. When you recognize that somebody loved you enough to die for you, I think that gives us pride. I think that gives us worth. I think that gives us value. But what the enemy wants to try to do is convince you that you are not loved. When we look at scripture and we understand that it serves many purposes, but one of the purposes is that it is a love letter from God to us. I think we find value. I think we find worth. Church, hear me. I will never, never devalue the power that depression can have on people's lives. I've seen it wreck my own family. I imagine there are so many people here that have seen it be a part of your life or in your family's life. And listen, here's what I want for y'all to understand today. The only true thing that can have power over depression is the love of the Lord. The love of the Lord is more powerful than anything the enemy can throw at you. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And what we're going to see first is that the love of God is incredible. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. See, this is a weird sentence. And as I was looking at this sentence and I was reading all of my smart guy commentary and all of these guys that have all these PhDs and all these abbreviations in front and behind their names. Y'all, here's what I learned. This verse gets a lot of attention because of the way that it's put together. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm kind of one of those guys. that Just tell me what it means. I don't need to understand where the participles are, or where the verbs are. But in order to get those big degrees, they made me learn it. And here's what I've learned. When we look at this, we look at from what some Greek scholars say about it. And here's what they say. We can change the wording just a little bit to make it more sense for us. If I said it like this, behold, what exotic foreign nature to the human heart. The love of the Father has permanently bestowed on us. So in other words, what kind of love is this that would forgive sinners? And make them the children, the sons and the daughters of the living God. It was in Charles Wesley's mind, I love this, when he wrote the famous hymn that was later popularized by Chris Tomlin. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? See, when you think about this, not only did he send his son to die for us, but he also adopts us into his family. Just to put that into perspective, could you imagine as a parent seeing your child killed and in turn adopting the killer into your family? Isn't that essentially what God did for us? because Christ died for our sins. He had to send his son so that we could find forgiveness. Ultimately, we were the cause of the death of Christ, amen? And in turn, what does Christ do? Christ dies for us willingly and the Father adopts us into his family. Can you imagine such a love? See, the love of God is something that is talked about in just about every pulpit around the world. Every single religion wants to remark on the love of God, but here is the difference between the love of God that we talk about as a Christian church and the Christian faith versus every other religion. Our love is not conditional, but unconditional. See, a question that is often asked is, when does God start Loving us. This is a debate that has happened for years and years and years. And people say, Did God love us when we came to faith in Christ? Because obviously, He doesn't love sin. So, in turn, does He love us only when we come to faith in Christ? And before that, we were not loved. I don't believe that to be true because in Romans 5 8, it says this But God demonstrated His own love towards us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Before for the foundations of the earth, really, Christ loved us. The Lord loved us. Even while we still had sin in our lives, the Lord chose to send his son to come and be the propitiation of our sin. That is such a blessing. But here's one thing I want for us to walk away with Listen, when we talk about the love of God, we often think about it being conditional. But church, we have been a church that tries to stand on God's word from the beginning to the end. And every single day of our lives, we wanna make much of this. Church, when I look at God's word, I can't see anything that we can do that can make the Father lose love for us. When I look at scripture in its entirety, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5:8. But God demonstrated his love in this way. He demonstrated his love. Therefore, when did God love us? I believe that God loved us before the dawn of creation. I believe he is love. I believe that it is in him. It comes out of every essence of his being. I also believe that there is not a point where God would look at his children and say, I am done loving you. Because in Romans eight, we see this. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither neither angels or demons, neither, neither the present nor the future nor any powers Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. So here is John saying what a glorious, measureless love both that we have in quality and in quantity. Do you recognize the incredible love that our Heavenly Father has. The next thing we see is this, God's love is not just incredible, but it is consequential. See, do you know what I mean by that? Here we are experiencing the great love of God and it is different than anything else, but we live in a bad place. We live in a world that because we've experienced the love of God, because we love God back, we have consequences for that love. When we look back at our text, the second part of verse one, the reason why the world does not know, better translation would be understand us, is that it did not know him. The world will not understand us because it does not understand him. The world doesn't understand why we do the things we do. We recognize this, but here's what I ask you to understand as well. Do not look back to the, lo- do not look back to the world to give you confidence in your walk with Christ. Do not look back at the world to give you confidence in how you live. Don't look back at the world to give you approval on how you should live because the world will always be disapproving of the way in which we choose to live when we choose to live in the ways of the Lord. Church, I think it's interesting that as Christians, we get so worked up by how the world treats us. We get so worked up that people don't vote the way we vote, that people don't see things the way that we see things. And it's just so hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? It's so difficult. It really is. It's hard to see things through the world's perspective when we look at things that people are voting for and issues that people are so excited about and they're willing to go and protest for. We cannot help but be just completely misunderstanding why they would believe or act or do the things that they do. Why do they stand on certain platforms that they stand for? Because we have the love of Christ within us, which also gives us the inability to understand them. Does that make sense? See, they will not understand us, but I believe because we have the love of the Lord in us, because Christ has come into our life and changed us, unlike any other experience that we ever have, we no longer have the ability to understand the world like we used to. I don't think things are going to make sense to us. I think when politicians stand on certain platforms, it's gonna seem completely unreal to us. It's not gonna make any sense because we have been transformed and they have not. Church, here's what I want for us to understand today. God's love is consequential, meaning the world won't understand us. And I think we recognize that, but I think we have to embrace that we will no longer understand the world. And in turn, we can react in many different ways. We can react in anger. We can react in hate. Or we can choose to use the same thing that changed us to impact and hopefully change them, which is what? Love. Church, I'll just be honest with you. I've seen so many Christians misrepresent Christ way too often. I think Christians have stood on the soapbox of hate towards the world thinking that that will implore the world to come to faith in Christ. I just don't see that working. I don't think that you can hate the people that Christ died for, that Christ loved enough to give his life for Christians choose to hate. Church, I just think we have to take the hate word out of our vocabulary. When it comes to reaching The world, I think we need to recognize that the old East Texas saying I heard for the first time the other day, you catch a whole lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, is that right? Or bees, I don't remember, some sort of bug. You catch a whole lot more when you're sweet than when you're mean. Here's the truth. Here's what it is. I think that when we act hateful towards the world, they will act hateful back. But when we act lovingly, they might act hateful back. But here's what we do know. We do know that we can let them get a small picture, a small piece of the same love that Christ used to change us. And maybe, just maybe, when they experience real true love for the first time, they'll start to be open toward the things of the Lord. But can I tell you this? I've never met a hateful Christian that has ever led anybody to Jesus. I've never met a hateful Christian. I've met a lot of hateful Christians. I've met a lot of people that hate the world. Can I tell you what I'm learning? I'm learning that the more that I love people, love people, the more impactful for the gospel I can be. See, dealing with people is difficult, isn't it? Dealing with people is so hard and we can get so mad that they don't see things the way that we do. And I'm talking about even Christians. See, Christians can disagree, and I think often it is so easy to respond with animosity and with bitterness and anger. But when we choose to love them, like Christ called us to love them, I think that a whole lot of conflict gets resolved. I think that a whole lot of animosity gets taken down. I think it's really hard to be bitter at somebody that's choosing to love you, isn't it? Have you ever heard that phrase? This is another East Texas phrase, "Kill them with kindness. Kill him with kindness, baby. Kill him I heard one of our ladies say that the other day. Sugar, kill him with kindness as she put brownies on my desk. So sweet. You know who you are. Everybody else does too. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. I don't want to kill anybody. Really don't. But I do think that when we have problems in our life when we have bad relationships in our life rather than trying to get even rather than trying to get people to see our point of view rather than trying to stand up on our soapbox and proclaim why we are right if we choose to wrap all of our views and our opinions that come from god's word in the envelope of love it's more likely to be open and received do you see where i'm coming from see i hate 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 it when Christians debate and they talk to each other and they get hateful with one another, especially about things that are of the Lord. That drives me crazy. When there are church splits that happen, my goodness, drives me up the wall because here's what I realize. A lot of times when there is anger and hate that come within a church, people are talking about godly things, godly matters in an ungodly manner. You see what I'm saying here? As Christians, the way that we talk to everyone about our views on scripture, on theology, about the way that we're supposed to live life, those are godly matters. And we will not treat them or talk about them in an ungodly manner. The way that we present our views and our thoughts matter. See, do you remember that old, that old song I used to learn in vacation Bible school? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Can I add one? Well, oh, be careful, little fingers, what you type on Facebook. Oh, mm-hmm. So, you think I'm talking about younger people, but I've seen some, some of our senior saints in here that, ooh, buddy. I'm just kidding, but not really. Here's the thing. Listen, every time that we r- open our mouths or open up social media, do you recognize who you represent? You represent the Lord. And when you represent the Lord, whether you realize it or not, every single time you're representing Him and you spew out anything but love, you are misrepresenting the Savior that died for you. You are misrepresenting the Jesus who gave His life for you. And so we cannot be hateful, but rather be loving. Do you recognize that people often get taken to court on the case of false advertisement? Y'all ever seen that before? People get in trouble for false advertisement. Companies that falsely advertise and do things inappropriately. Christians have been falsely advertising Jesus for centuries because Christians want to advertise the Lord through venues and through ways of hate rather than love. We always stand on God's word. We always call sin, sin, but I believe we can do that in a Christ-like manner just like Jesus did. Church, there will be consequences for our love of the Lord, but we do not respond to hateful consequences with hate back to the world because all it's gonna do is cause more and more animosity between us and the world we are called to love. The next thing we're gonna learn is this, God's love is eternal. Beloved, verse two, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Can I read that one more time to help it sink in for us? Beloved, we are now God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as. As he is. God's love is eternal. In other words, one day you're going to see Jesus yourself face to face. And when you see him, you will be completely changed. You will be different. You will have the makeover of your life. See. Here's the thing we talk about all the time, how having an encounter with the Lord is transformative. I love this illustration. I've used it before. I'm going to use it today, and I'll use it again. I don't care if you hear me repeat it 10 times. Here's the thing. I've heard it said before that encountering Jesus is like getting hit by a pickup truck. If you got hit by a pickup truck, you would look different than you did before. Amen? You would not be the same. Life couldn't go on as it once Did But when you have an encounter with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Emmanuel, you are different. You are changed. You are set apart. You can no longer live life like you did before. And I believe that that's going to happen again when we see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. So we've talked before about sanctification, which is basically discipleship. Sanctification is just a big word, meaning we're growing more like Jesus from the moment we got saved to the moment that we see Jesus face to face. But the moment that we see Jesus face to face, we get another big seminary word called glorification, meaning that we get to now be participants in the glory of the Lord. Seeing Christ in his perfection and his fullness and his holiness, we also in turn get perfected bodies, but we get a perfected nature as well. The sin nature will be removed. Won't that be a glorious surgery? See, here's what, have you ever had to get a surgery on something on a body part you weren't supposed to have? See, we have some body parts that we don't need. You know what I mean? Like tonsils don't really need those. And those have to get removed sometimes because they can cause a problem, right? See, there's other things. What do, you, what do you have? An appendix you don't really need, and that can get removed because it can cause problems. See, we didn't really need the sin nature, and when we all get to heaven, wherever Adam and Eve are going to be, you know they catch dirty looks. Like, you know it, right? Like, I know, like, in heaven, we're not supposed to have, like, any bitterness, but uh, we might just give them a little bit of an eyebrow raise when we see them, right? You know what I'm saying? Here's what we do know, though. Our sin nature has taught us something. Our sin nature has taught us that we desperately need a savior and we are nothing compared to the goodness of the Lord. I think it shows us an appreciation for Christ because of that sin nature. It's a thorn in the flesh, but at the same time, it is a blessing. Hear me. When we recognize the difference between us and Jesus and we get to see him in his fullness and in turn our sin nature is removed and perfected, it will be a glorious, glorious moment. The struggles that you have today with your old behaviors, the struggles that you have with sin while you're here, you won't struggle with when you get there. What is a process to us now that is so arduous process of the sanctification will be instantly resolved. This growing closer to Jesus, all of a sudden we will be put back together. The sin nature will be removed. We will have had that arrived feeling with a glorified body and a purified character and my favorite, a satisfied heart. Do you know that you'll never be totally fulfilled in this world? You'll never be totally satisfied until the day that you're standing before Jesus face to face See, we've seen so many celebrities throughout the years have these great platforms where they can talk about all of the wealth and all of the fame and all of the popularity they've received, but they still feel like they're missing something. And that feeling of missing something, we will feel until we stand before Jesus. The difference between Christians and the lost world is not that we don't have that feeling, it's just we recognize what the source of that feeling comes from. So we recognize that we will never feel completely put together until we're standing before Jesus. We'll never feel like we have arrived. We'll always be left wanting because we're always gonna be wanting more of the Lord until we stand before him in fullness and in his goodness. Let's look at verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, the fourth feature that John wants us to know about is that God's love is practical. Everyone who has hopes in him purifies himself as pure. My goodness church, here's what I want for us to think about today. I want for us to think about this moment when we received the Lord. Can you think about that moment when you first said yes to Jesus? I know that a lot of our different experiences might vary, but I do remember that when I said yes to Jesus and invited him in to come into my life and to be Lord and Savior and really understood what the fullness of that meant. I had an encounter with the Lord that I cannot put into words very well. I recognize that that was a moment where the Holy Spirit entered into my life, where God's goodness and God's grace shined upon me, where the darkness of sin and the penalty and the consequence of sin had been removed, all because of the love of Jesus. Because of the love of Jesus, everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The love of the Lord is eternal. The love of the Lord is purifying. But here's what I want to leave us with today. Just like the book, love does not simply talk. Love does not simply study. Love does. And as a church for 2020, our goal is to allow love to come out of us more than it has before. I want to push us to love others fully and wholly. I want for us to every day wake up and think about how can we love others in the same manner in which Christ loved us. When I look back at 1 John chapter three, I'm gonna read a couple verses that the media team doesn't have. But verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love does. In a few weeks we're going to go more into detail about our hopes and our goals for 2020 as a church, but can I give you the sneak preview? Our byline for 2020 is this. We want to turn Emmanuel inside out in order to bring the outside in to a deeper walk in relationship with Jesus. We want to do more in our community and in the world than we've done in the past and make an emphasis in every single ministry within our church in order to show love to those that are outside of a relationship with Jesus in hopes that that love will invite others into that relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to be focused on. For all of 2019, we have made a major push to study God's word and we will continue that desire and that push. Emmanuel will always be a place where we study God's word for what it is. We make much of it. But as we have done everything we can in 2019 to get the word into us, as we get into the word, I hope that we can live out that word that we've been studying so committedly to make much into the hearts and the lives of others as we show love to them and represent Christ and the way in which he is, which is with love, not with hate, with love, not with judgment, with love, not with bitterness. Church, i just tell you, if we can continue to grow our love for our community, if we can continue to grow our love for others and turn ourselves inside out in order to make much of Jesus, I believe we'll accomplish that goal. T-Church, I believe Emmanuel is a fantastic place to worship. I believe Emmanuel is a community of believers that truly believe what the Lord says. I am so blessed to be a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I just want for more people to be a part of that blessing, not to grow our castle, but to grow the kingdom. I wanna see us grow the kingdom because the kingdom is so good to be a part of, isn't it? Let's live life in a way that truly advertises correctly who Jesus is. And in turn, I believe that when people recognize who Jesus is, they will want to be a part of that. Church, in a moment, we're gonna pray. We're gonna open up the altar. If everything that I'm saying about isn't really making sense, and you're recognizing that you don't understand and have a relationship with the Lord and haven't experienced his love, please come and talk to me or somebody before you go seriously. We say this every week and sometimes I feel like when I say it, it might seem like it's coming off stale or old because it's just become a tradition. But here's the thing. This is not a tradition that will ever go anywhere. This tradition will always stay and we will always, always invite people to come into a relationship with the Lord in this service. Because here's the thing. I believe when people hear the word, and they see the love of the Lord for themselves, they need an opportunity to respond. In church, you might've heard me say this a dozen times. You might've been sitting in church your whole life and heard a million altar calls, but maybe today is the day where you take it seriously and you recognize that the Lord is drawing you to himself, that the Lord's love is something that you have heard about and studied but hasn't come in and changed you. Maybe today's your day, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to make much of you, to make much of your love. I pray that your love will not go unnoticed in the hearts and the lives and the actions of Christians. God, I pray that love will not be something that we simply do, something that we simply see, but something that we embrace and do in the lives of others. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that they will receive your love, your forgiveness today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Church.